just want to acknowledge that I'm, I'm happy to be back. I missed last week. And although I was ex having pleasant experiences by being off, uh, I'm, I can't say I was as happy as I am when I'm here. Uh, because I'm, because it's really the Dharma. It's the, it's, when I say the Dharma, I say the practice, I mean the practice of connecting with truth. Dharma means truth. The connecting with reality. Uh, I know with great confidence that that's what brings true happiness. And it's not the happiness of simply a good mood but it's the happiness of peace and fullness and wholeness and enoughness, the happiness of sufficiency, happiness that doesn't depend on, on uh, pleasure or pain. It's really just the, just that, for some reason I want to say, just the raw sense of being. And Tuesday night is one of those moments that I'm reminded that uh, I, you can travel the world in all directions, adventure after adventure, and not uh, find anything actually more adventurous and more simple and more real than the happiness of conscious being. As Sri Nisargadatta put it, all search for happiness is misery and leads from, to more misery. That the only happiness worth that name is the is the natural happiness of conscious being. So Tuesday night is a great reminder that uh, for me, and I, I really am talking to myself week after week, it is a reminder to me that in order to find true, true relief from suffering, which I think is our implicit goal no matter what we're up to, in order to find that true relief, I do not and you do not need to lift out of this moment. And that's why tonight I wanted to, in the instructions to just keep emphasizing that uh, nature is where we find relief. Our, and it turns out to be our own nature. And we are just in the, as far as the natural world, we are an expression of nature. And our doorway back to our, our deepest nature is through the uh, natural world as it exists, as our breath, as our sensations, as our consciousness that depends on this, as the Buddha put it, this fathom-long body. So easy to overlook, so close, yet, as the Hakuin Zen Master says, so close when we search for the truth afar. Lost on dark paths of ignorance, we wander all confused. And, but when we stop and we keep quiet, we look within, where, where, is, uh, where is there anything, any place better? In some traditions they say, when you're present, all desires are fulfilled. So I'm just, that's just my small expression of appreciation for uh, having this opportunity to hang out with you and to remind myself of, of that uh, open secret of 
the happiness, the happiness of a Buddha, which simply means the happiness of awakening, awakening to our natural state of presence. As I was sitting tonight, there were several streams running through my mind, and some of it had to do with inner and outer adventure. And I'll try to tie in all the different themes, but I had the recollection, and perhaps because I just talked about it here before, but because I'm having more senior moments, I don't know, remember what I talked about. But uh, I remember the first three-month retreat a three-month silent retreat that I went on back in the 70s. My father didn't sleep through the night for the whole three months. He thought maybe I'd gone off the deep end, joined a cult, and then he saw that I that I seemed pretty okay when I came out and, uh, and that I was nice. <laughs> and the way I explained it to him was that uh, that he I characterized him as a traveler, and my parents were prolific travelers. My dad worked at a at a retail furniture store. He was the owner of the retail furniture store, fortunately, and so it afforded him the ability to take two or three weeks and go wander and He owned it along with my grandmother, who was the matriarch of the family business. And my grandmother was a real powerhouse. She worked, some of you may know her story, but she worked seven days a week till just short of her 104th birthday. And just a little little extra piece of the story, she, at the age of 89, was kind of pushed out of her own, her business by her, some of her grandchildren that were starting to think that she, they were smarter than she was. And she got angry, quit as chairman of the board, and a few months later took a building that she owned across the street and went into competition with her original business. This is at age 96. 96. And worked until... So this, she's a powerhouse. So my, my father was a... Even though he was a principal in this business, he had made very little headway with my grandmother... And my grandmother had a son who was, who was also in the business, and my father was in the, at least as it's spoken about sometimes in family dynamics, he was, the, uh, he was not the in-law, he was the outlaw. But he was very well loved, but they were very much tied into and identified with the business, and he wanted to grow and adventure within the business it was it had a certain passion for him but he saw that his his adventure could he, he kept running up against the wall in his desire to expand within this uh, field and it really speaks to all of our nature to want to grow to expand to adventure and and in many ways we all in our own way get get uh, run into obstacles. Well, my dad's way of, of dealing with the obstacles was then to become a, a traveler. And a, uh, he got very passionate about art and, and travel. And through that process, he grew a lot, had many, many experiences. And, I, and so when I was, after my three-month retreat, I said, you know, you're an outer traveler, I'm an inner traveler. And he seemed to get it. 
And I said, it is an amazing adventure to travel into the nature of the heart and mind. And it is a mysterious, infinite adventure that has no, has no end, but it is endlessly fulfilling and satisfying. Somewhat like traveling, but I've noticed that travelers are... I can't say that they're endlessly satisfied. They tend, outer travelers tend to be endlessly dissatisfied. And I noticed that, that the more I traveled within, I was not necessarily satisfied with what I discovered, but I increasingly felt the sense that, uh, that I didn't need to leave right here to keep discovering uh, reality, keep discovering more and more about, uh, about nature. And so I became a, an inner traveler, and I think all of you are uh, adventurous in that way, just by the willingness to sit down and uh, in some ways go against the stream of our ordinary associ- what we ordinarily associate finding happiness through is adventure and acquisition and relationships and everything that part of our outer sensual reality, which all produces a lot of pleasure and a lot of experiences, but it doesn't really produce a lot of fulfillment. And it is a, an expression of your wisdom, at least in my estimation, an expression of your wisdom that you have realized that true well-being is an inside job. It comes from... from uh, from discovering that the one that the purpose of life is not arrived at at the at the end of the vacation the purpose of life is arrived at in the immediate moment that's a we have to sometimes travel a long way to realize that that's the paradox but you have realized it but then that's just the beginning of the potential of the capacity to literally liberate the heart from all that binds us, keeps us looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for that fulfillment in, in the places that, that uh, just keep adding to the, um, to the feeling of dissatisfaction. So every one of us, as I think, had some realization that this, whatever this happiness of a Buddha, the happiness of awakening, is an inside job. And yet, how many of us actually really throw ourselves into this practice? So I thought tonight, one of the questions that I would ask you is, since I actually had a title that I wrote down earlier, the title was, The Next Step is Always Taken Now. So that's a little bit of a window on... This is the wisdom of no escape. But I thought the question would be, what's your next step? What is your next step? What you would like? And and we'll put it in terms of of your aspiration to awaken in whatever form that takes. It may be more peace of mind. It may be more... Uh, retreat time, it may be more, whatever it is that expresses that, that, uh, that aspiration to awaken. What is the next step? That's the first question. 
Second question is, what is it? What is it that holds you back? What is it that gets in the way? Now, for, just to give an example, sometimes fear gets in the way of becoming an, an inner adventurer, really taking on the, the adventure of awakening. Now, it's one thing, and it is an expression of wisdom that, you, that you're here, and maybe many of you have really jumped in, but many are just dabbling. And even those who have jumped in, there's, there's often a realization of some, some measure of holding back or some sense of what the next step is and some sense in our life, and this can be some psychological sense of something getting in the way. So what is the next step and what is getting in the way? It could be fear, it could be laziness, it could be uh, the attribu- attributing things to circumstances. There's all kinds of conditions that we tend to put on our diving into practices. Is this making sense, this line of questioning? What's the next step? And what's getting in the way? And what can you do on behalf of that? What can you do to commit yourself? Now, I've framed many different iterations of the of long practice periods within our community, the, the Rains Retreat, the 100-Day Retreat, various ways to help support us committing ourselves to practice. But I think it's, this, part, this one is really an inner uh, decision, an inner reflection and inquiry. What is the next step and what's getting in the way and what can I do on behalf of that? I'm also interested to hear anybody who wants to make a public declaration, please. Recently went on a retreat. Uh-huh. Family situation in Norway around property. Source of a lot of stress, anxiety. Two sisters don't get along. Yeah, you were letting go of relationships that feel like a problem to solve. Yes. Yes, it's kind of a loss, but very liberating, very freeing. Beautiful. And so what's the next step? with each other, but try not to internalize what the other person's doing. So to differentiate, to let people be. Not just let yourself be, but let others be. Beautiful. Maybe this is more of an inner reflection. But whoever else wants to say something, feel free.
You know, as I sit in this room and we perhaps are contemplating what the next step is and what gets in our own way, I look out in the room and I, as I often do, I, I feel the, the sense of, of interbeing, that whatever your step is, whatever your resistance or limitation or fear that you need to uh, swim against, whatever it is that you need to do to enter the stream of, of the Dharma, the stream of nature, to kind of re-enter your uh, natural state, whatever you need to do, uh, you actually do not just for yourself, you do for me and you do for everyone in this room. Because we, it is so obvious in the silence of our being together that we don't exist independently, alone, apart from each other, that we really, as Thich Nhat Hanh puts it, we inter-are. And there was no moment that so joyously expressed that interbeing than last, I think it was Wednesday night. Does anybody know what I'm speaking about? Last Wednesday night, something quite miraculous happened in the world of sports. The first time in 128 years of the San Francisco Giant franchise, the pitcher, Matt Cain, pitched a perfect game. For those of you who are not baseball aficionados, a perfect game is going through nine innings, 27 batters, and not having one batter get on base not one uh, walk, and no runners, no runs, uh, no hits. 27 batters mowed down. <laughs> That's not quite the right expression. <laughs> but the good, my great good fortune by some interbeing, I have no idea how, I was able to watch this. Uh, I was away and I was able to watch it on television and watched starting in the third inning with rapt attention notice knowing that there was something brewing and then by the end when the tension had built to such a huge crescendo for those who were very much part of it how many of you did were aware of it as it was happening just a few people in the room believe it or not even if you weren't consciously aware of it, you were part of it. And I'll try to explain. From the proximity of our observation, it looked, and the way we would normally think of it, we would think of this pitcher, Matt Cain, pitching this perfect game. He gets the accolades, he gets the, uh, the recognition, and we may remember, oh, Matt Cain pitched a perfect game, first time in 128 years. There's been 22 in the history of, of baseball, by the way, going back to the 1800s. But he gets the credit. But if you watch the game, it was obvious that it took everyone. It took everyone who was rooting for it. It took the, uh, his teammates made heroic plays in order to preserve his perfect game. 
things that were beyond, beyond the ordinary. Everything was conspiring to support him for this, uh, this perfect event, this, this realization, at least in my heart and mind, the realization of the, the interbeing. It was so obvious that he didn't do it alone. And if you keep expanding beyond how it looks on the surface, start with Matt Cain, great pitcher, great preparation, great person. Without him, it wouldn't happen. But also without every single person involved in that, it wouldn't happen. And without everything that has ever happened, that evening would not have come together. Without you taking a breath, that evening would not have come together in just the way it did at that time. That there is nothing in this world that happens completely independently apart from everything else. And anyway, it put me in a complete state of awe. And I can see Anne is is nodding in acknowledgement of that. And it's just a reminder of what the Buddha called the deathless. The the truth of, of the emptiness, the emptiness of self being meaning the uh, connection of all things that nothing exists independently there is no independent you that exists apart from all the things everything that has happened in the world that has conspired to bring you in your nature into being at this moment at this time not one thing could have been different and that to me is a is a reminder of the dharma of how it is. Does this make any sense? If it doesn't, it's, it's, it's fun to contemplate. No, I can't see the direct relationship of my breathing that night to Matt Cain's perfect game. But we're sharing the same field of consciousness and the elements of nature. We... We really are, we can't, if you really look deeply into our nature, you can't find a dividing line between me and Matt Cain. And I think it's why when we are put in that high intensity moment, either as a spectator or in the middle of, of an event, a very intense event, we sometimes, and unfortunately it's often in the, in the middle of, exceedingly unpleasant events. It often takes natural disasters, wars, to break through the, our pattern of thinking that divides and separates and melts away that separation and we see that we are of one heart, just how, what happened after 9-11. But it sometimes happens in the middle of joyous events where the immediacy of it, the intensity of our connection, opens our heart in a different way. It opens our heart to mudita, to sympathetic or altruistic joy. I can't tell you that the joy of that moment, the residue of it, the interbeing of it, extended for three days after that. Maybe I'm a little nuts. (laughs) But that that is our potential if if um, if we're open to it. So what gets in our way of realizing that inner being? What, re- what gets in our way of, of being able to respond with joy in, in the face of somebody's good fortune or respond in compassion in the face of somebody's suffering or respond in goodwill 
just at a at a smile. My um, my uh, wife, my partner, uh, stayed out of town for a few days after I came back because I had uh, had uh, people to meet with and I have a retreat starting tomorrow evening, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And she was staying in this this little um, this little inn. And in this little inn, every person, and maybe they were instructed to do this, but every person smiled. And she was so affected by the fact that everybody smiled at this place, uniquely different than, than uh, some places where you go. And part of after having spoken to her and thinking about this inner being, I wanted to encourage everyone as a practice of interbeing, as a practice of deepening this adventure in immediacy and presence of awakening to take on the smiling practice. Start smiling at people. It's, the, it's very novel for big cities. Now, I, I've told the story many times here that when I moved here, I, um, I felt really isolated and alone. Because I was used to, I lived in a small city, Tucson, Arizona, before, and everybody smiled at each other on the street and even said hello. And people naturally a little less safe here, but also just by habit, people close down, narrow their focus, and don't, don't connect. You know, partly for good reasons, but part of it is, uh, is a loss of, and I'll bring up the name of, of Yvonne's topic last week, a loss of discernment. Now, there are people you can smile at and the people you maybe shouldn't smile at. But for the most part, we could do a lot more smiling and we would realize a lot more inner being and a lot more cessation of our own preoccupation with our internal drama if we oriented in that way. And that, in those simple moments of smiling at another person, it's like going... It's like taking a walk in the woods. It's back to nature. You're connecting with nature again. Every breath that you connect with, every whatever it would mean to extend your uh, commitment. I, I was rummaging through the... I was trying to find this Goethe, Goethe I think you pronounce it Goethe passage, and I'm gonna, I'll try to read it right now even though it's hard to read it on a, a phone. But he, this is a... Um, what you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. But here's the fuller passage. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy. The chance to draw back concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one element, elementary truth that ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves to. All sorts of things occur, occur to help one that would never have otherwise never, never otherwise have occurred a whole stream of events issues from the decision 
raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance which no man could have dreamed would have come his or her way. Whatever you can do or dream you do or can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. (laughs) Sorry, that was a little hard to read. Kind of loses its effect when you're mumbling, stumbling all over the words. But I think you get the point. So for me, for me, getting back to whatever helps connect us with nature, with our nature, with our interdependent, our inner being. Uh, And the first and most natural place to look is uh, in our own uh, holy body, our own fathom-long body, our own breath, nature. And then looking into the eyes of others, connecting and sustaining a little bit when we look at someone. This connection, love, it's right there. It's right here. Whatever version, please. Getting back to the next step. Yes. Able to just rest in awareness. Empty mind, wide open heart. Yeah. Lovely. Next step is to connect with that, open to it in your daily practice. Beautiful. You don't have to travel very far for that, since it's natural. Well, often what, the question is what gets in the way. I don't know if you're asking me what the question is, but I, I do have a response. <laughs> what often gets in the way is the thought that it it's related that it depends on the retreat. And then we we tend to start associating experiences with where we had them and think we have to get back to that place, either that inner place or the outer place, when in reality what you realized was your, your mind momentarily free of preoccupations. And when our mind is momentarily free of its preoccupations, as Nisargadatta puts it, it becomes quiet and if you don't disturb the quiet and you stay in it, you realize it's light, it's full of light and love and luminosity, openness, uh, and that you've never known, but you recognize it at once as your natural state. But what he says is, once you've been through that, you'll never be the same person again, which is, which is uh, means that something really struck you. But it's bound to return if the effort is sustained. The effort is sustained means refer to that every instant. Let that be the hub around which you live your life. That's, if that's 
if, if you have passion for that, really get used to it. And in order to get used to it, you have to believe that it's sitting here in the room. It's the very consciousness through which you're perceiving. Is that openness? Yeah, I can see you see it. So then there's nothing keeping you except your, the mind that thinks that, that uh, you'd like to see it sometime. And that very thought keeps it from being your natural state right here when that thought is there. Well, I don't want to sound glib, but what I often say here on Tuesday night is that we, what we do is we use the hindrances every time we can notice that there's a defilement or something in our mind. We use them as our gong. We use them to refer not just to the hindrance that's showing up, desire, aversion, contraction, pain, whatever it is, but we use it to, to enliven and awaken the consciousness that's knowing it, the, the, the nature of the mind itself. And that's, so it's, it, without, without the awareness through which you're perceiving that you just described, there would be no knowledge of the hindrances. So anytime there's knowledge of the hindrances, a close relative is awareness. And so you simply turn the other way every single time. Use everything that you notice, even in the middle of pain. Turn toward the awareness that knows it. And then, as part of turning toward the awareness that knows it, are you with me? Part of turning toward the awareness that's knowing something, also just check to see if that awareness is colored with grasping, aversion, or if, if there's a little personalizing going on, if it's all about me. And those are the presence of, the, of the, um, the three primary poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. So that's it. Whatever's happening, knee pain, what's knowing it? What's the quality of the mind that's knowing it? Simple. And relax. The relaxation is the best thing you can do all the time. No matter where you are, relax. It, tensing up has never gotten more work done. It's never made you more efficient, if anything less. So relax, relax, relax. I think we have to end on that relaxing note. I think I'll read one last poem from the Northwest Native American tradition translated into English by David Wagner, transcribed from the tape of poetry read by David White, entitled Lost. Stand still. The trees ahead, the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. And you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. Listen. The forest breathes. It whispers, I have made this place around you. If, if, you ha- if you leave it, you may come back again, saying, Here. No two trees are the same as to ravens. No two branches the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does, does is lost on you, then you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are, and you must let it find you. A little quiet for a moment, taking in the forests of your own nature.
May all beings be committed to their deepest aspiration. May all beings be liberated. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. Thanks for hanging in there till nine o'clock. Just a gentle, a reminder of our uh, the way that we operate here is everything is offered freely. Teachings are offered freely because they're considered priceless and so they're accessible to everyone. But in order for there to be a, a continuity of us being here and being for me being able to keep doing what I do, uh, we need this interdependent, this interbeing of giving and receiving. So there's a Donna basket for the $150 of room rental each week. Much appreciation for any of that. And Donna basket for any of the generosity uh, for me or whoever takes the seat here. And I want to talk next week a little bit more about Donna, uh, just not so much about teacher Donna and et cetera, but uh, give a little bit more elaborate talk on it, but we can't do it this week. I also want to have a couple announcements. Saturday from 10 to 5, there is a gratitude conference at the Palace of Fine Arts. Was that it? You could probably find it online, put in gratitude conference, but it's supposed to be a wonderful event. And also, thank you to all the volunteers, and we're looking for people to volunteer one Tuesday per month on a team of two. If interested, please talk to Ann or Tara. Ann or Tara. And this is another expression of Donna. And Donna is meant to be a gift from the heart, not just a tip, not just a, a throwaway, but a, fee, a, a gesture of the heart that brings joy. So it's not something that's frivolous. It's really something that that uh, is, uh, as the Buddha mentioned, it the po creates the potential for joy in the thought of it, joy in the act of it, and joy in the memory of it. And so please consider that in offering your services, offering room rental Donna, offering teacher Donna, and any kind of generosity in your life. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.